It's 8 o'clock. morning. This is Northern Light for Monday, July 10th. I'm Todd Moe. Monica has the day off. In Ogdensburg, a city of 10,000 people, there isn't a single major child care center. But that might be changing. The Ogdensburg Bridge and Port Authority is working on building a center that would serve hundreds of families. By constructing a new child care facility, family members and legal guardians will be free to join the workforce again in helping new businesses attract employees, and grow economically. Also coming up, the challenges of connecting small businesses with the military. Small companies can offer unique solutions to problems, but they can struggle to break into a defense industry that can be frustrating to navigate. The systems in the military, the the policies and the technology itself is the most frustrating in the, the bureaucracy. <laughs> And as part of our ongoing series of conversations with North Country birders, we catch up with Stacy Robinson, who loves birding in the Champlain Valley. Anything that gets you outside and connects you with the natural world is a plus. And if it includes birds, I think that's even better. All that's coming up on Northern Light. Stay tuned. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by the Village Mercantile, bringing Saranac Lake to places beyond the Adirondacks, offering Adirondack-made and inspired goods, villagemerc.com, anything but general, and by Apothecary Chocolates, making gourmet chocolates by hand from all natural herbs, botanicals, and tree syrups, apothecarychocolates.com. This is Northern Light. I'm Todd Moe. St. Lawrence County and every other county in the North Country have been have long been childcare deserts with far more children than spots in daycares. In Ogdensburg, there are a handful of home-based daycares, but in the city of 10,000 people, there isn't a single major childcare center. But that might be changing soon. The Ogdensburg Bridge and Port Authority is working on building a center that would serve hundreds of families. And as Amy Feirazel reports, it's a big and somewhat unusual move for an agency known for infrastructure and industry. The Ogdensburg Bridge and Port Authority started talking about building a child care center in early 2021. Because of COVID, meetings happened over Zoom. Breaking up a little bit. Can you hear me? I can hear you great, Tony. I'll keep talking. Now you're running out. Over two years later, that project is moving forward. They recently celebrated a $2.1 million federal grant. They'll need about three times that, but it's enough to start planning. Senator Kristen Gillibrand helped secure the grant. She spoke at a press conference in late June in Ogdensburg. Child care is really important for our communities. It's also really important for our economy. It's important so that people can go to work, so they can create businesses, they can provide for their families, and so that our children get access to that really good early childhood education, which makes the difference between succeeding and not for many, many children. The Ogdensburg Bridge and Port Authority will use the federal grant to build a 15,000-square-foot child care center at its Commerce Park in downtown Ogdensburg. It'll be public, not just for their employees, and they hope to open in the fall of 2025. 
This will be one of the largest childcare facilities in the North Country, and it's an especially big deal for Ogdensburg. The current childcare situation is really not sustainable, and it's extremely detrimental to the community's workforce. That's Stephen Lawrence, the Ogdensburg Bridge and Port Authority's executive director. By constructing a new childcare facility, family members and legal guardians will be free to join the workforce again in helping new businesses attract employees and grow economically. Now, why the OBPA? Lawrence gets that question a lot. After all, they're known for running the bridge to Canada, the local airport, the railroad. Lawrence's answer is this. They're also an economic development organization, and someone has to do it. With a lot of things, especially things that are public projects, you need somebody that is going to shepherd that through. And the OBPA, um, we're not going to walk away from it. He says they've got the space and they know how to build and manage facilities. What we wanted to do is with property that we have in our Commerce Park is to build the facility and find uh, a partner that could operate that. They found that partner in the ARC Jefferson St. Lawrence, a social services organization that already runs a preschool in Jefferson County. They'll operate the Ogdensburg Center when it opens. I actually reached out to them and said, I see that you're doing this. That's Lynn Petrosky, the ARC CEO. And it just seemed to be a good fit that we could provide services for children because we knew that there was a need. Petrosky says the center will be able to serve 125 kids and create a minimum of 25 new jobs. This is an enormous change in childcare capacity for the area. You know, if you run 12 months and students graduate, I say graduate into kindergarten, on average throughout the year, you could probably touch 300 families. Now, a child care project of this scope, with an industrial organization driving it, this is unusual, and it signals a bigger shift in how wider society thinks about child care. This is economic leaders treating child care like an economic driver, no longer just something for families, particularly women, to figure out on their own. Petrosky says they don't see investments like the one the Ogdensburg Bridge and Port Authority is making very often. It's been amazing. They're very forward-thinking to to think this and then to partner with someone like a nonprofit organization to do such a thing. Now, this isn't a done deal quite yet. $2.1 million isn't enough. The OBPA is still gathering funds. They have several other large grants pending. But they're also committing around $1.6 million from their own budget to the project. Stephen Lawrence from the OBPA says this is one of the best ways that the organization could think of to stimulate the local economy. We feel that a kickstart of the workforce um, is really important to growing new business and fostering overall uh, economic well-being of the area. He's imagining an Ogdensburg where families have easy access to child care, an Ogdensburg that can even attract new workers more readily. He also admits it's a little personal. His first grandchildren, twins, were just born. You know, I became a grandfather a little older than I wanted to. But anyway, I'm happy with that. But also I can see what my children are going to be facing. It shouldn't be so hard, says Lawrence, to have a family and be able to work. Amy Feierisel, North Country Public Radio. The North Country will be receiving about $36 million to repair and replace bridges and culverts. About half that funding will go to St. Lawrence, Lewis, and Jefferson counties. 
When Governor Hochul announced the funding last week, she said investing in infrastructure projects is particularly important in the face of climate change and an increase in severe weather events. Those are especially hard on water-based infrastructure like bridges. June was the hottest month on record globally, and the North Country was not immune. As temperatures rise, a reminder that there are dozens of cooling centers across the region. Those are air-conditioned public spaces that you can visit to cool down during hot weather. The State Department of Health compiles a list of cooling centers each year, and you can find a link to that list on our website at ncpr.org. The retired Lowellville police chief and a current sergeant pleaded not guilty to accusations of misconduct last week. 47-year-old Sergeant Philip Turk faces multiple charges, including a felony for allegedly getting paid for shifts he had not worked, then submitting a time record with false entries to cover it up. Former Chief Randy Roggi, who's 59, is accused of authorizing that time record. According to the Watertown Daily Times, both men pleaded not guilty in Lowville Town Court. They were released on their own recognizance and are due back in court in September. The application deadline to take an upcoming uh, deputy sheriff's civil service test is approaching on July 14th. The Jefferson County Sheriff's Office is hoping that people will take it and that open jobs in their office will be filled. Like many other local sheriff's offices, Jefferson County is struggling to fill open positions. Sheriff Peter Barnett told the Watertown Daily Times that in the past, a few hundred people might take the deputy sheriff test, while today they're lucky to see 30. That means a much smaller applicant pool. Barnett says they're also having trouble filling open corrections positions. A New York State bus service is trying to fill a gap left by Amtrak suspension of service north of Albany. Trailways of New York has added trips to and from Montreal, bringing the total daily number to 10. The company says this allows travelers to go from Canada to Plattsburgh, New York City, and several places in between. Last month, Amtrak announced the Canadian National Railway had implemented reduced speed limits on tracks in Canada due to heat. That led to the suspension of the Adirondack Line, which runs from Albany to Montreal until further notice. As of Friday, this week's scheduled train trips were canceled. to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. The time is 11 minutes past 8. Good morning, I'm Todd Moe. Monica Sandreski has the day off. Coming up in just a few minutes, a Champlain Valley birder will share her uh, thoughts on birding, birds, the environment, and uh, promoting promoting uh, participation by citizen scientists conversation with Champlain Valley birder Stacy Robinson coming up in just a few minutes. Stay tuned.
Music by Mark Corey in Watertown. You can hear more of Mark's music on our website. It's part of the Underscore Project. Check it out anytime at ncpr.org slash underscore. Northern Light is supported by Adirondack Experience, the museum on Blue Mountain Lake, presenting a full season of events and activities, now open seven days a week. Tickets at the adkx.org. And St. Lawrence Health, whose affiliation uh, with Rochester Regional Health means more patient access to specialty care, stlawrencehealthsystem.org. Attorneys general from 10 states, including New York and Vermont, plan to sue the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, saying its failure to review and ensure emissions standards for residential wood-burning stoves has allowed the continued sale of appliances that could worsen pollution. That means programs that encourage people to trade in older stoves and other wood-burning appliances, such as forced air furnaces, haven't necessarily improved air quality, according to the states. Quote, if newer wood heaters do not meet cleaner standards, then programs to change out old wood heaters may provide little health benefits at significant public cost. That's according to what the states wrote uh, last week in a 60-day notice of intent to sue. The states involved include New York and Vermont, Alaska, Illinois, Maryland, Massachusetts, Minnesota, New Jersey, Oregon, Washington. They allege the EPA's current standards aren't good enough, and that even if they were, the agency's testing and certification program is so ineffective that it's failed to ensure those standards. The EPA declined to comment on pending litigation. The states allege that the EPA's current standards must be reviewed and that its testing and certification program is so ineffective it's failed to ensure the existing standards. A large share of the money the Pentagon pays to military contractors goes to giant corporations like Boeing, Raytheon, or Northrop Grumman. But the military wants to get more small businesses in that mix, too, a goal that can be challenging both for the Pentagon and the businesses themselves. Eric Schmidt reports for the American Homefront Project. Let's start off with why the Defense Department wants to work with more small businesses. Military leaders cast it as a national security threat and say without them, the DoD risks withering supply chains and losing out on innovation. Smaller companies have a key advantage compared to the bigger contractors the military has established relationships with. The biggest one is risk, right? They can take bigger risks. They can try different things. Colonel Martin Salinas is the chief operating officer at AFWorks, the Air Force's innovation arm. He says it's more likely that a small company will develop an entirely new solution for the challenges the military faces. With AFWorks, Salinas seeks those firms and works to bring them into the Air Force's fold through things like the Small Business Innovation Research Program. So if we are funding that small American company, ideally our adversaries are not. Salinas says AFWorks manages more than a billion dollars a year in these kinds of contracts. But the process for companies who want to tap this pool of cash can be daunting and cumbersome. Patrick Hitchens is the CEO of Austin-based Fit Rankings and first approached the military in 2018 about them using his company's technology around tracking data from wearable fitness devices. He says his proposal was well-received, but that didn't make securing a contract any easier. The systems in the military 
the the policies and the technology itself is the most frustrating in the, the bureaucracy. <laughs> and that started right away. Hitchens says it took months to register his company with the government, and his first application was denied. He says it's gotten a lot easier since he first started, but there is still a challenge in overcoming how the military has traditionally handled working with outside proposals. So if you have a great idea and you want to work with a DOD, if they don't have a requirement for what you have, typically you could not work with the government. Companies can propose their own solutions to a problem the military hasn't explicitly identified. Hitchens says this so-called open topic route is the reason he was able to secure a military contract. For others going this route, it's not clear what the military looks for in these proposals. Ashish Patel is a principal at Drone Domo, also based in Austin, which provides storage and charging for drones that's autonomous. There's not much room for creativity to get the larger vision of the product across. And you just don't know who's reading these applications on the other side. You're unsure of... Is this the right way to frame it? Patel says he's noticed how others who've won contracts have a stronger network within the branch they want to work with. It's true for Craig Brooks, the president of Apes Inc., which develops ways to determine how long fleets of aircraft will last. Inside a small shop in St. Louis, he points out the hydraulic press simulating the repeated stresses a part on a military plane endures. The, the de- most damaging are the tension cycles. Before he started his company in the 1990s, Brooks spent decades consulting for some of the bigger military contractors like Boeing and McDonnell Douglas. A lot of our, I guess I would call it success, has come from the fact that, okay, hey, we know some of these people out there. Or they've, they, you know, over the years, they've seen or heard of our work. Still, Brooks says it's not easy because there's so much turnover among the military ranks. You having to reintroduce yourself every few years, you have to re-educate them. They are in a constant motion. In recent years, the number of small businesses winning contracts from the DoD has grown. Military leaders say it helps with leveraging all the country's assets to keep pace with its adversaries. I'm Eric Schmid in St. Louis. This story was produced by the American Homefront Project, a public media collaboration that reports on American military life and veterans. You're listening to Northern Light right here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe. Coming up in a moment, a love of birding along Lake Champlain. Also, we'll check uh, some of the events on our community calendar and more of Morning Edition coming up at 8.30. Weather service says clouds, occasional rain, maybe some heavy rain showers at times, especially in the Adirondacks, Glens Falls, Lake George, those communities. Highs this afternoon in the 70s, light winds out of the south, lows in the 60s tonight. Still a good chance of some showers tonight as well. And uh, tomorrow, about a 50-50 chance of uh, scattered rain on Tuesday. 
Stacy Robinson is a veteran birder who has contributed to understanding bird distribution and abundance in the Champlain Valley and beyond. She grew up along the eastern edge of the Adirondacks and credits her father with being her birding mentor. About 10 years ago, her great aunt encouraged her to start keeping a life list of bird species. And she's up to 650. That's about 300 species here in the Adirondack North Country. As part of our ongoing series of conversations with birders about birding, I caught up with Stacy Robinson recently via Zoom. She's a leader in utilizing citizen science, namely eBird, and helping advance New York State's third breeding bird atlas initiative. She volunteers for a variety of ornithological initiatives, including work on that breeding bird atlas. This is actually my first breeding bird atlas, and it lasts for a five-year period, and we're in the fourth year right now. So I'm very actively pursuing birds. The idea with the atlas is to actually confirm nesting, breeding birds and where they're breeding so you want to document that as well as closely as you can so i'm really active with that right now but it is true i do i do lead some walks Um, i generally lead walks for the audubon once or twice a year Um, i've led walks for the crown point state historic site which is one of my favorite birding spots um, the champlain area trails etc Um, I'm also very active. Annually, we do the New York State Waterfowl Count, and my girlfriend Ellie George and I um, head up the Champlain Valley for the counting of the birds, but we also do count birds interior in the Adirondack as, as well. And then additionally, I annually help with the loon census, which is actually only done uh, one time during the year on the third Saturday in July. Um, All the loons are counted in the Adirondacks, and that information is um, added up by the Adirondack Loon Conservancy out of Saranac Lake. What do you see happening? I mean, I sit in my backyard in the evening, and I'm hearing lots of robins and and cardinals and and wrens and whatnot. What do you, you know, what are you, this time of year, what are you sort of listening for, and and what are you seeing, seeing and hearing? Well, the Adirondacks are very special because they host a very large number of warblers, which are terribly popular with birders. So there's over 20 species of warblers that breed in the Adirondacks. So I'm hearing and seeing a lot of warbler activity right now. We also have vireos and flycatchers nesting, and of course the waterfowl, the ducks, um, and you know some various other types like chickadees, of course, and you know, little popular birds, blue jays and stuff that we see in our backyard. Um, They're all actively breeding right now. This is their peak season. So I'm seeing a lot of parents carrying food and um, a lot of babies waving their wings, asking for food. It's it's really fun to see. I uh, took a walk into the Silver Lake Bog uh, two days ago and I met a woman on the trail. She asked me if I had any highlights. And I said, yes, I just watched Uh, a beautiful little thrush, a hermit thrush, feeding her young on a log, and she was mesmerized, and she I could tell she was a bit jealous that she had just missed it. But uh, it is really fun when you experience those kinds of settings. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. So why birds? 
is there kind of a conservationist side to this for you in terms of habitat and the environment and those aspects? You know, it's just a really good fit for my personality. I've always loved doing anything outdoors. I love to be in a kayak or canoe. I love to be in the woods. And birds are everywhere. And that's the magic with it. I mean, they can you can sit on your deck and, and listen and watch the birds. You can be in your boat on a lake and watch the birds. You can be at the grocery store and watch the birds. I mean, they are, it is a wonderful hobby because it doesn't cost very much. You just buy a set of binoculars and off you go. And I just think that um, it's it's just an easy fit for me personally. And I do love them. I've always loved birds, but I wasn't always good at identifying them, especially by song. Um, so that took a, took a bit of effort. Um, I would spend a lot of time just sitting on my porch, listening and watching the birds, and I got better and better. And then I went out and looked for more birds in other areas. As far as conservation goes, I do care greatly about the environment, and I I love the creation in general. And we have roughly 100 acres here at our property, and we really try to leave it very natural. Um, I don't weed whack around my ponds. I leave everything the way it's meant to be except for our immediate yard because I want as many birds to be able to live here as well as other wildlife. You know, we have fishers and deer and, um, you know, porcupines, all kinds of goodies on our property because we let them be where they want to be. Do you have a favorite bird? Maybe not a fair question. I've always been a fan of cedar waxwings. Um, I'll tell you a couple of reasons why. My, my friend told me they don't have a beautiful song, which is true, but they are stunningly beautiful to watch and they are very interactive with each other. They're always doing interesting things, like one of their very neat behaviors, they're quite social with one another. And one of their neat behaviors is called pass the berry, (laughs) where they'll line up on a branch and one will pluck the berry and they'll pass it down to the line, you know, to each other. And I've seen a lot of that behavior amongst mates and in family groups, but even just large groups of cedar waxwings. And then in the winter, we get the bohemian waxwings, which come down from the north and they are equally stunning and maybe sometimes even a bit more special because we only get to see them in the winter. Anything coming up this summer that that there's the loon count and um, anything that listeners should be aware of or you'd like folks to know about? I think there's a lot of things going on here locally that people can join in on, even just submitting what you see or hear in your yard to eBird, which is a really amazing um, citizen science program. And also, if you have a pond that you like to visit, you can join the Loon Census. Uh, you can go to the Adirondack Center Loon Conservation. They'll, they'll give you a pond, or you can go online and actually choose a pond that hasn't been chosen yet. You can go out and see if there's loons there on the third Saturday in July. It's a, it's a fun thing to do. It gets you outside. Um, on a pretty Saturday morning, hopefully the weather's good. Mm-hmm. Um, join a bird walk. You know, just anything that gets you outside and connects you with the natural world is a plus. And if it includes birds, I think that's even better. Including birds, that's even better. That's Stacy Robinson, a veteran birder who's contributed to understanding bird distribution and abundance in the Champlain Valley and beyond. 
I spoke with her as part of our uh, ongoing series of conversations with birders in the Adirondack North Country. You can hear more conversations on our website at ncpr.org. And a little later this morning, uh, we'll post uh, a photo that uh, Stacy took of one of her favorite birds that'll be on our website this morning. A little later at ncpr.org. Check that out. And also, Stacy mentioned the uh, annual Loon Census coming up. It's this Saturday. Uh, July 15th, a great opportunity for Adirondack residents and visitors to contribute to the Adirondack Center for Loon Conservation's ongoing research on common loons. Census observers are needed uh, for the 23rd annual uh, loon census, Saturday, July 15th, from 8 to 9 a.m., to help determine the abundance of loons during the the breeding season. To participate, you can sign up for a lake in advance at 80kloon.org. That's to help minimize duplicate observations. Again, uh, to take part in the loon loon, uh, loon count, the loon census, visit 80kloon.org. That's Northern Light for this Monday, July 10th. Stick around for news from NPR on Morning Edition. Reach out. We want to hear from you. Record some sound in your world. Use the Voice Memo app or Voice Recorder app on your iPhone, your smartphone. Share it with us. Email it to Monica, monica at ncpr.org. And listen back to uh, Northern Light Archives any place you get your podcasts. Check it out at ncpr.org. I'm Todd Moe. Thanks for listening. Be well.